Good morning, church family. Glad to see you this morning. Glad that we can come together and worship. If you're visiting with us, again, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate uh, you taking the time uh, to come together and to worship God this morning. And we are thankful uh, that you've chosen Jefferson Avenue to be the place where you worship this morning. Uh, before we get into our sermon, men, I want you to, to remind you, men, that we have a, a service project this Saturday over at uh, Sycamore Elementary School. We're going to be working over there from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, and there's a sign-up sheet right outside these doors. So any of the men who can make it there, uh, Courtney Norton is going to be organizing that. So if you have questions about what it is, but be trimming some trees, might be building a, a bench or something like that, maybe do some pressure washing. Uh, so if you want to know specifics, reach out to Courtney, uh, but make sure you sign up if you're going to be available for that this coming Saturday from 9 to 11 at Sycamore Elementary. If you don't know, uh, Jefferson Avenue is a sponsor over at Sycamore, uh, so we help them from time to time provide um, uh, school supplies for them and do a number of service projects for them in various ways. So it's one of our uh, community outreach that we have each, uh, each year, uh, so please make sure that you are a part of that. Uh, this morning we're starting a new series, uh, as you can tell by the new signs, called The Name of of God. And really what I want us to think about as we go through this series for the next several weeks, Lord willing, is uh, we want to do something of a character study. Who is God? Who is this God that we serve, that we follow, that we, uh, that we praise, that we sing these songs to, that we pray to? Who, who is God? And we're going to look at this and, and try to understand it by what, what does God say his name is? How does, how do God's people in scripture, uh, how do they refer to God? And what does that tell us? What does that, uh, reveal to us about the name of God? I think this is going to be a good series, certainly from scripture. So it's got some, some good material. Uh, so I hope that it will be something that will be a blessing to you and, and that you'll really understand and, and appreciate who God is even more as we go throughout this study. You know, God and his people have always been serious about names. It's always been something that's been important to him. There's a number of uh, instances and examples in scripture of the importance of names. You can look at the uh, the prophet Hosea, uh, who had a very difficult assignment of uh, maybe all the prophets. He had a, a very difficult assignment with uh, dealing with his wife who was unfaithful to him and, and how that represented the Israelites being unfaithful to God. And he even names his three children based on uh, his circumstances and the, the difficulty that he's going through. So God's people have always done things like that. You think about Abram's name being changed the more common and more well-known name Abraham. You think about Jesus changing Cephas' name to Peter. You think about the apostle who becomes Paul. He was first Saul and he changes his own name. Uh, there, there's lots of examples. Again, in, in Exodus chapter 28, uh, as they are preparing the tabernacle and, and all the things that would go along with that worship, the, the chief priest, Aaron, uh, who would be leading in the worship of, of God amongst the Israelites, he had a breastplate, and on that breastplate there were a number of different stones. And on 12 of those stones, each stone had the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the purpose for that was uh, seemingly almost, maybe for Aaron certainly, but seemingly almost a, a reminder to God, hey, let me remember each of these different 12 tribes. And he remembered them how? By their name. Names have always been important to God. And we'll look at, again, a number of different names throughout Scripture that, uh, that refer to God. And we'll get into uh, referring to names about Jesus and even names about the Spirit. But perhaps today, the name that we're going to talk about, the name Yahweh, there's no more sublime or uh, solemn name than this name. Uh, the, the name that, that God really gives himself uh, both ancient Jews and modern Jews have referred to the name Yahweh as simply that name, 
or the great and terrible name, or even the unutterable name, the name that they would not say. And the reason for that is, we'll get to here in just a minute, but they held the name of God, they held the name Yahweh so holy that they wanted to make sure that they would never take it in vain. And so they were so uh, extreme about that that they became dogmatic about it, really, and said, well, in order to make sure that I'll never take the name of the Lord in vain, I'll simply never say the name of the Lord. So it was, it was unutterable because literally they, they refused to, religiously, they came up with this outside of what God necessarily said, but as a, as a safeguard against what God commanded them, they said, we, in order to make sure we never say the name of the Lord in vain, we'll just never say the name of the Lord. And because of that, we're not really even sure if Yahweh is the correct pronunciation of the name that God has given to us. In your Bibles, and we'll, we'll, this will matter today, uh, we'll read a lot of scriptures. And in your Bibles, especially the Old Testament, uh, we'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 5 here in just a second if you want to turn there, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, in most of our English Bibles, you don't read the name Yahweh. You don't read that name. Uh, you read the name Lord. Uh, but there's, there's two instances, probably more than two instances, really. I guess there's probably a, a lowercase Lord that may just re- represent or, or re- relate to someone who uh, has some power or some authority over other people. Uh, and then there's a capital Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, uh, that remains master. And that does sometimes relate to God. But then in your Bibles, if you'll notice, there are sometimes, and we'll read many of those times today, where there's a capital L, a capital O, a capital R, and a capital D. And when that is translated there, every time, that is the name Yahweh. That is the name that God gives to us. And so you'll notice that, and there's, there's that distinction there, that the, the, the writers and the scribes and the people who are translating the Bible and the, the Old Testament, the Jews, because they, they didn't want to say the name Yahweh because they wanted to make sure they wouldn't take it in, in vain. But there is a distinction. It's two separate words. The, the capital L, lowercase o-r-d, is different than the all four letters being capitalized. And when it's all four letters capitalized, it's this name Yahweh. And when we think about this and understand what this name means, I think it will mean something to us. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. We'll actually read verses 1 through 11. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 150. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let's read verses 1 through 11. Just to set the stage here briefly. Moses and the Israelites have gone through the wilderness. They've wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And they are at the Jordan. And they are about to cross over into the promised land. And about to take the promised land that has been given to them. Uh, But Moses, because of uh, some things that he did that that weren't pleasing to God. He didn't follow God's directions uh, the way that he ought to. Moses is not being allowed into the promised land. We'll probably talk about that more next week. But Moses, knowing this, that his people, the people that he's been leading, these, these millions of people perhaps that he's been leading for these 40 plus years, he, he knows that he's a, they, they are about to go into the, the promised land. He reiterates in, in Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law, he says, before you leave me or before I leave you in death, I want to make sure you know what God wants you to do. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he really gets into it. Let's read this. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I am am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and be careful to do them. And you'll notice in verse 2, if you have an English Bible, it'll be that capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, and I'm going to read it as Yahweh today. Yahweh our God covered a covenant with us at Horeb. Yahweh did not cut this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those who are alive here today. Yahweh spoke to you 
face to face at a mountain from the midst of the fire. Well, let's just stop a second and appreciate what Moses is saying here. Moses, 40 years later, 40 years after Mount Sinai, 40 years after the original law is given, and 40 years, do you remember the reason they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years? Because they didn't have faith that God would bring them into the promised land that they could defeat uh, the giants and all of those things. What happened in those 40 years? Well, all those of age, probably those 21 years of age and older, all of those people passed away in the wilderness. And now it's those who are younger, those who are 20 or younger, and all of those people who were born during that 40 years. And what does Moses say? God made a covenant, not with our fathers, not with those who were there and in charge and in power on the day where we were gathered around Mount Sinai. Not all of those people, those hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions of people who fell in the wilderness. No, Moses, God made a covenant with you. He spoke with you face to face. Now, now it's important because now there are people who are maybe 39 years old, 30 years old, but may, as old as 39, that were not there at Mount Sinai. Because they hadn't been born yet, but they were born early on in the wilderness. But now Moses is saying to him, God didn't make a covenant with those people who were gone. God made a covenant with you. God spoke to you face to face. And and, and our question will be, I wasn't there. How did God speak to me face to face? Well, apparently not literally, right? But he, he spoke to them figuratively. He made this promise with them. And I think if we read the rest of this passage with that in mind, even for us today, while we were not there at Mount Sinai and we were not there when, when, when uh, Moses is speaking here in Deuteronomy, this idea is this covenant, this promise, this relationship that God wanted with them. He wants this same relationship and even a better relationship through Jesus with you. That he spoke, to, he spoke to us. And when we read scripture, maybe it would be a good idea for us to consider. God is talking not just to those people who lived thousands of years ago. God is speaking to me. God wants me to listen to these things and to understand these things. And certainly as we're talking about today, it will be important. Let's go uh, down to verse 5. I was standing before Yahweh and you at that time, between uh, Yahweh and you at that time, to declare to you the word of Yahweh, for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up on the mountain. He said, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol for yourself of any likeness of what is on, in heaven or uh, above or on earth beneath or in the water of the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And here's verse 11 that certainly would tie into our series on the name of God. You shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain, for Yahweh would not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Names have always been important, have always been important to God. And when God reveals this name, his name, Yahweh to us, when God reveals that name to us, it's a big deal. It's it's something that's very important to us. We're first introduced to this name. We're first told this name in the book of Exodus. Turn over to Exodus chapter 3. We'll read verses 13 through 15. Exodus chapter 3. We'll be in Exodus for most of the rest of the lesson. So go ahead and turn your Bibles over there. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 46. Page 46. Exodus chapter 3. 
verses 13 to 15. We'll talk about this a little bit more, but this is before Moses returns to, to Egypt to, to lead the Israelites out of, out of uh, slavery. And he's out in the wilderness of, of Midian and he's uh, shepherding the sheep. And remember, he sees that burning bush that isn't burning up. And he says, man, I got, I've got to check that out. Okay, And in the midst of this conversation in Exodus chapter 3, this is the first time we're introduced, and this is important, this will come up later, this is important, the first time we're introduced to this name, Yahweh. Exodus 3, 13 through 15. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm about to go to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they will say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Verse 15. And God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name, name from generation to generation. So here we're introduced to this name. Now you may say, well, you know, you, you can look back in, in Genesis and, and earlier on in Exodus and, and you read that word Lord and, and you see the L-O-R-D. Well, well, that name Yahweh is used in Genesis. Well, yes, it is because Moses is the one who, who wrote Genesis. So once he finds out that God's memorial name, his name that he'll be known from generation to generation is Yahweh. When he writes about him, he uses his name in Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. So we, we recognize that, that God is revealing to us this name. Turn over quickly to Exodus chapter 6 and, and notice just how special this is. Exodus chapter 6. So as we think about what's happening here, Moses has, has gone back to Israel and he's began to have conversations with the Israelites and saying, hey, God sent me to you. Yahweh has sent me to you to, to bring you out of, out of slavery. And he's even believed, I think, uh, began to talk to or getting in the process of preparing to talk to Pharaoh. And he's, he's come up to some problems. The people are kind of, ah, Moses, I, I don't know if I'm going to follow you. I, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm believing what you're telling me. We, we've been here for generations, Moses, in slavery. And now all of a sudden you show up. They're, they're a little hesitant to follow Moses. And Moses' response is basically, God, what did you get me into? And notice what God says. Let's read Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For by a strong hand he will let them go. And by a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. And I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I was not known to them. Man, I think that's significant. I think that's, that's, that's a big deal. You, you, when, you think to, when you think about the, the Israelites, and certainly if you were to, to ask the Israelites even in, in Jesus' day and, and beyond, and perhaps even today, hey, who are the patriarchs of the faith of Judaism? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the big names. Certainly Moses is important. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are the, the patriarchs, the fathers, the, the, the people who, who really started and, and the promises made to Abraham. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Isaac is the promised son. Those are the most important patriarchs of the Israelites. And God says to those three men, I didn't tell them my name. To those three men, I was simply known as God Almighty. But Moses, I've revealed to you. Moses, I've revealed through you to all of the Israelites, my name. My name is Yahweh. Well, what, what does that mean? What does the name Yahweh mean? It simply means to be. 
It simply means to exist. In many ways, it, it flies in the face of, of atheism. It flies in the face of people who would say, there is no God, and God just says, I am. I exist. Here I am. What, what do we learn about God by this name that, that he gives himself? There will be other names that we'll talk about, but most of those names are, are, are additional descriptions of Yahweh. There's Yahweh Jair and, and Yahweh, other words that go along that, that describe who this God is. But, but God names himself. He says, this is my name, Yahweh. What does that mean? What does it help us to understand about him? It means to be. Two things, I think, that we can learn about our God through his name. He's self-existent. You see, you and I have, have a need for physical connection. You and I have needs for emotional connections. We need things like food and water and shelter and rest. God needs none of those things. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul is standing on uh, Mars Hill, he's standing there with the, uh, the, the, the most brilliant people of the day in Athens, uh, and they're, they're always wanting to learn more. One of the things that he says is that God doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands, nor does he need anything from any of us. God is self-existent. He was here before us. He doesn't need us to be here for him to continue to be. And when earth is all gone, God will still be. God is not only is self-existent, he is ever existent. Scripture teaches us that. Certainly Revelation, it tells us in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, what is he? He's the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the end. It says in chapter 4, when those, uh, those holy uh, angels, those, those sixth-winged creatures are, 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 uh, are repeating holy, holy, holy over and over again, they say he is and he was and he is to come. Yahweh, to be, I am, I exist, here I am. He is self-existent. He does not need us. He has no need of us, nor does he share in many of the needs that we have. And he is also ever-existent. He has been here, he is here, and he will be here. We can take that and hold on to that as comfort to us. What else do we know about God? Over in Exodus chapter 3, also in verses 10 through 12, God would say, I am with you. My name is to be, I exist, I am, and not only that, but I am with you. Look at Exodus chapter 10, let's read, sorry, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. So now come, God says to Moses, and I will send you to Pharaoh. And so you shall bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that is I who sent you. When you have come, brought the people out of Egypt, you shall come and serve God at this mountain. Moses again says, who am I? Who, who am I to be able to, to go to Pharaoh, one of, if not the most powerful people in the world? Who am I to, to lead your people, God, out of Egypt, out of slavery? Who, who am I? Why would you choose me? And, and God doesn't say anything about, well, well Moses, you were, you were born into royalty. Moses, you, you know a lot about Egypt because you spent 40, your first 40 years of life there. Moses, you, you, you may even know Pharaoh, or at least you know how Pharaoh's house is run. Moses, you've got all kinds of experience. Of course, you're the man for the job. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, hey, Moses, I'm with you. That what, that's what makes you capable of doing this. If we go back earlier in the, in the chapter and we, we continue to see about uh, how this interaction went, look at verses 2 through 6 as, as he uh, first sees this burning bush. And let's notice what happens here. 
And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must now turn aside and see this marvelous sight. For why is the bush not burning up? And Yahweh saw that he turned aside to look. And God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said to him, do not come near, remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He also said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. What do we learn about God in these verses? What do we learn about Moses asking, who am I? And God saying, hey, I'm with you. Well, why was it holy ground where, where he was standing? Why did he have to take his, his shoes off? You know, Moses likely had, had been across that part of ground at some point in the past 40 years. You know, he spends his first 40 years in, in, uh, in Pharaoh's house. And then after that, because of his situation and he has to, has to flee from Egypt, he, he spends 40 years uh, shepherding the sheep in Midian. He's probably been across that ground before. And, and before this day, there was nothing special about it. What made the dirt holy? God was there. In the same way, Moses asked the question, who am I? Who, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who, who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? And God simply says, hey, Moses, it doesn't have anything to do with you. But I'm with you, and therefore you're capable. Is that not a lesson for us today? When we think about people that we need to reach out to, when we think about the differences that need to be made in the, the world around us, it doesn't matter so much on your qualifications or your lack of qualifications. As a matter of fact, you know most of us probably that just about every time that God uses people to do big things in Scripture, those people are always flawed. And flawed in ways that we would look at and say, why in the world would you choose them, God? There's got to be somebody better than that. And time and time again, God uses those people and he makes them able to do what he, what he needs them to do, not because of their skill or their talent, but because he is with them. We can also learn about God in Exodus chapter 3, that God would say, I care about you. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, and then verse 20. Exodus chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, and then verse 20. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name from generation to generation. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, has appeared to me. And he said, I indeed care about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Pezzarite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land that flows with milk and honey. And then notice what he says in verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wondrous deeds, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. God says here, and we learn about God, we learn about this, this Yahweh that he cares about us, that he, he exists, he's self-existent. He doesn't need us to be. He is. He has always been. He's ever existent. That he knows who we are and he cares about us and he is with us. And we learn all of these things about this name Yahweh. Yahweh, it says again in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 15, it's God's memorial name. What does that mean? Why do we have memorials? Whether they're statues or whatever else they might be. Why do we have memorials? So that we remember right? 
We, 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 we partake of the Lord's Supper, and that's, that's a memorial to the death of Jesus, right? So that we remember Jesus. Well, this name Yahweh, that the Jews were held, held in such high esteem that, that they maybe took the, the, their, their esteem too far because they wouldn't even say it. They wouldn't even say the, the name that God said, this is my name. And you'll remember me by this name. And I know maybe even for some of us today, when you, when you read your scriptures, you look at it and you say, well, I feel uncomfortable saying Yahweh when I see those four capital, capital letters there. And I can understand that. I'm not, I'm not necessarily suggesting that you have to, to use the name Yahweh. But, but God says, this is my name. God says, you will remember me by this name. And we remember God. We learn about God. Again, that he is self-existent. He's ever-existent. He is with us and he cares about us. See, I think when we think about God sometimes, we, we do a really good job of thinking about God in the past. God created the heavens and the earth. We do a really good job even in our worship thinking about God in the past. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, well, what are we remembering? Something that happened 2,000 years ago. And we're, we're commanded to remember that. We're commanded to, to celebrate that and to commemorate that. And, and we do it every first day of the week because that's the example that we see in Scripture. And we're really good about thinking about God in the past. And we're also really good about thinking about God in the future, right? Where, where are we all trying to get to? We're all trying to, to be with God eternally, right? We're trying to get to heaven. We're trying to, to be where, wherever God is. That's where we want to be. And we, we'll get there one day. We're really good about thinking God in the future, but what I want us to, to maybe, if you don't talk, walk away with anything else, maybe walk away with this tonight. God is not just the God of the past. God is not just the God of the future. God is the God of right now. He was, and he is, and he is to come. And, and we, we do a really good job with he was, and he is to come, and we, wor- we almost maybe even worry about, well, when's that day when he's coming back, right? We want to be ready for that day. But what about right now? Turn to one last passage with me and the lesson will be yours. Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 through 31. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 600. Isaiah 40, 25 through 31. Here here we see maybe both sides of God. We see God as almost unapproachable in his power and his might and his glory. But then we also see what does God do for common man? What does God want to do? Not just what did he want to do thousands of years ago, not just what does he want to do on the other side of eternity, but what does God want to do for you as his follower, as his child right now? Look at verse 25 through 31. This is God speaking here in this passage. To whom will you liken me that I will be his equal, says the Holy One, Lift up your eyes on high and see he who created these stars, the one who leads them forth uh, by host. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his vigor and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from Yahweh and the justice due me passes by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary and tired? His understanding is unsearchable. We see in these verses almost again this 
this, this, this glory, this might, this power, this, this God, Yahweh used twice here to be, he is almost inapproachable. He says, who are you going to liken to me? Who are you going to c- compare to me that he is my equal? There's nobody. I've led the stars forth. Every time you see the stars, I lead them forth and I call them by name. And I know how many there are. Who, who's like me? Almost an inapproachable picture, an unapproachable picture of God, But notice what it says in verse 29 through 31 that he wants to do for us. He, this God, Yahweh, gives power to the weary. And to him who lacks vigor, he increases might. Though youths grow weary and tired and choice men stumble badly. Yet those who hope in Yahweh will gain new power. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. My God is not just a God of the past, though I'm thankful for what he has done. My God, your God, is not just the God of the future, though I long to be in his presence throughout eternity. My God is the God of right now. Maybe more importantly, my God is the God of my life. He's the one that I follow. He's the one that I've committed my life to. He's the one I believe in and I trust him because he is self-existent. He is ever existent. He exists and doesn't need us. He is with us and he cares for us. And he's done all of those things in the past and promised all of those things in the future. And he simply asks, hey, walk humbly with me in the present. This morning, where are you at in your relationship with the Lord God Almighty? With the God who was and is and is to come? Where are you in your relationship with Yahweh? I think we may talk about this more next week. We do a really good job knowing about God. But how well do you feel like you know God? I hope this series will help you with that, to to grow in your knowledge and your understanding of who God is. Maybe the most clear indication of who God is is that he, Jesus, put on flesh, left heaven above, and came to this earth. He lived a perfect life, not always doing the things that he would have wanted to do or the things that he would have chosen to do of his own accord, but following his father himself, the plan, he submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. Because he knew that through his power, through the power of God, he'd be resurrected on that third day, giving us the hope of eternal life and the forgiveness of our sins through his blood that was shed on the cross. Have you started that relationship with him? If you believe those things about Jesus, are you ready? What's, what's holding you back? from following Jesus. If you haven't started following him yet, what's stopping you? If there's anything that you need to let us know about today, if there's struggle in your life as a Christian, or if you're not a Christian yet, not a follower of Jesus yet, and, and you're ready to become one, we want to help you with that in any way. Listen, we, we serve a mighty God. But he's not just a mighty God of yesteryear or distant future. He wants to be a mighty God in your life? Are you allowing him to be that? And what changes do you need to make to make that happen? If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.